2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Just how rocky is the road ahead for your money after another turbulent week for stocks? We're debating the markets with the Investment Committee this Friday. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Amy Raskin, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets, as Carl was saying. Pretty nice reversal in stocks thus far. Dow's positive by 220, 34,383, two-thirds of a percent. The S&P up one and a third percent. That's a gain of 56 43.83. Nasdaq's up better than 2% right now. The Russell 2000, which has gotten destroyed lately firmly in a bear market, 1939 up uh, just shy of one half of 1%. 0.4. There's the 10-year note yield at 178. All right, guys, let's take stock, if you will, of this week. And John Najarian, you've told us that you've just seen a whole bunch of call buying in the SPY.
3: Uh, we have, Scott. We, we had a, just a crushing amount of put buying for the last several weeks. You and I have talked about the uh, IWM, uh, the QQQs as well. Not as much in the QQQs, even though that has been dropping. Uh, but now they're starting to reverse back out, Scott. And whether it's the VXX, which is the short-term volatility ETN, or the VIX, uh, we're, we're not seeing the same sort of panicked buying that we were ten days ago a week ago a couple days ago So if people wanted to hang their hat on something perhaps that is something uh... and as far as speculative calls to the upside in the s p five hundred yeah the people that uh, are active in this index broad market exposure of course five hundred stocks um, they seem to be uh... more bottom fishing here scott on whether or not we did finally Get to that tradable bottom. I shot you a, a chart that Tom Lee shared with me as far as basing, is what I believe Tom called it. Um, after hitting those lows, then we took a little bit of a leg up, not huge, a little bit of a leg up, and now we've been basing on that. And I think that's giving people some, uh, if not confidence, at least uh, uh, better feelings than they had for the last four days.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's been a, a- Dramamine kind of market, right? I mean, it's been up, down, and, and all around. So, yes, Kerry, Dr. J mentions Tom Lee, uh, and he has some interesting comments out today calling for violent upside in the next three months. Retail sentiment's so bad, he says, it points to that. Uh, in our view, the message from markets is that much of the bad news is priced in. We could see stocks soon stage a sustainable rally. Sentiment is now extremely bearish and at extremes, That is a contrarian buy signal. What do you make of that? Do you agree with Jim Labenthal, who said Monday we did put in the bottom?
4: Well, this is a very important day, uh, technically, Scott, because we have not yet broken the lows of Monday. And if we hold up, and we all know that it's the last 10 minutes of the day, as we've seen this week, that really matters. If we can hold here and not start falling through the afternoon off a cliff, That would mean we've gone through the week, not breaking those lows, coming in on a Friday afternoon with a decent day. And technically, and I know Steve Weiss would say, oh, well, who cares? But I think it matters that if we can hold today and be up, that would be a very good sign going into the weekend. There are 235 stocks now with over 4 billion in market cap that are down 35% or more from their 12-month high that means that over 120 of them are down 50% or more if you can't find some some bargains to buy on that list then i think professional investors really are kissing it goodbye because this is a market that offers you opportunities they might not be the perfect the perfect low but There are many names that are attractive there. And they're on both the growth side and the value side, I think. So in places, yes, Tom, I really want you to be correct. I would like to see this market go higher. We're not in a recession. I don't think we're going into a recession. There's liquidity. There's demand. I think that the Fed can manage this process. So I would like to believe, and I do think because we're doing some buying, that it's it's a spot today where we can make some moves and move forward.
2: Now, you know, I remember it was Josh Brown who told us to keep our eyes out for closing below the 200-day moving average on the Nasdaq, which we did last Friday, and we know what that ended up pretending for the market. So, Josh, take the temperature of the market here, given the kind of week we've had, the damage that we did, the rebound that we had from Monday's low, the volatility that we've all experienced. The Fed has now spoken. We've had a reversal today. You've seen a lot of markets, and I know you read a lot about the markets. What do you think today?
0: Listen, it's, it's good that I'm kind of like been in a self-imposed quiet period for a little while on social media because I'm seeing things that disgust me on a daily basis, a daily basis at this point from like prof- people that purport to be professionals or people that say outrageous things because they don't actually have any money under management. So there's no client they have to answer to when they make these outrageous statements. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm trying to ignore it and, and not, uh, you know, get into altercations with people. I really am doing my best. I don't know for how much longer I'm gonna be able to keep all of this inside, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I really don't understand all the hysteria. If you say that you don't like the valuations in some of these growth stocks, and it's this, and it's this bubble and it's speculative, and then that bubble deflates, and the S&P is still within 10% of a record high and is weathering these little mini bubbles being popped everywhere, how is that negative? Isn't that what you want? What are you actually complaining about? You don't like the speculation. All the air comes out. These stocks are down 75 80%. The bubbles are bursting, but the economy is fine. Isn't that a good outcome? Isn't that what you're rooting for? Put that aside. The Kathy Wood stuff is so over the top. I think people ha- have done enough using her name to get clicks. It's, re, uh, it's, it's gotten personal at this point in a way that it never should. That's a human being. That's a person with feelings. You don't have to agree with her. You could bet against her. You don't have to like her investment philosophy. That's a person. And they did this with Meredith Whitney uh, seven or eight years ago. Same exact template. Comes out of obscurity, makes people a ton of money with a call, tries to do something bigger and better, gets media attention, and then they can't wait to to rip our guts out. And I'm watching that same thing play out. It makes me sick, I really don't like it. I have no problem with people betting against an investment strategy. That's what we're all here to do, bet on or against. But the personal stuff, it's, 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 it's bad. And it should stop. Last thing, I promise I'm almost done. The buybacks are gonna start now. We've had the damage. We've had the technical damage. Not every company is a good company. Not every company has the balance sheet to support its share price. So I don't think you're gonna get this rebound where all of these growth stocks that have been annihilated just automatically get to go back to their highs. It ain't gonna go that way. I think the quality names, I think the companies that have these fortress balance sheets, and there are very many of them all throughout the index, are probably the best bet. Even if you don't get the biggest bounce out of them, you know that they will have the wherewithal to come in and do some buying And I think that that's really where the rebound can stick. It's going to be much tougher for that rebound to stick. And I own some of these companies that were SPACs six months ago. They have no support. They don't have enough cash to do buybacks. They're too small. I would would curb your enthusiasm on the comeback there. It's going to become a little bit more bifurcated, in my opinion, going forward if we have a recovery. I think it's going to be narrower. Than a lot of people would like. And that's not going to be fun me, uh, for people that have loaded up on unprofitable companies. But that's just how I see it.
2: Let me let me ask you this. Um, you said something. Everything you said was interesting. But one thing that jumped out to me immediately was when you said all the air comes out. Those were your words regarding these, you know, bubble um, things that have popped uh, in, in, in your words. Do you really think has all of the air come out of those areas or does still need to come from them. And that goes to the question okay. that really matters most to people as to whether you think that we did put a bottom in on on Monday. I want to know if you think we did. I want you to answer that question. And then whether you think that all of the air has come out of the frothiest areas of the market.
0: Well, I I can't tell you definitively that I think we've seen the bottom because uh, we really are probably in for another few weeks of inflation data that the market is going to look at that and say up oh, sixth rate hike oh now it's a seventh rate hike like we're still in that phase which i think ultimately will be wrong uh, but i can't tell you that the market's not going to have negative reactions to that stuff um but ask the question of if all of the errors come out so you know i'm not a, a robin hood bull I've, I've been pretty negative on the stock since it was 70. Um, but I looked at it last night when it was selling off, it was like uh, 10 bucks in the aftermarket. And you, you look at the market cap is $9 billion. And then you see their, their press release they put out about their net capital, which I think is like close to $3 billion. So you say to yourself, wait a minute, you're telling me Goldman Sachs could like do a Robin Hood buyout for $6 bucks, and they're not talking about it? I think there are a lot of situations like that where you don't have to like the company but you just look at like, wait a minute, some of these things are a super low risk for an acquisition. We just witnessed a massive deal with Microsoft buying Activision. If you think that's the last one we're gonna see in Q1 with the, with the NASDAQ down uh, 19%, I think you'd be wrong there. I think you're gonna see a lot more. So there's a certain point where maybe not all the errors come, out, come out, judge, but too much has come out to still wanna press those bets. Not in all cases, but I think in some very big, in some very big well-known names.
2: Okay, good to get your thoughts on that. I I just wanted to sort of pin you down on on exactly where you really think we are. And, you know, I I think people want to hear that from you. Uh, Amy, what do you think? Um, We haven't heard from you in a while and it's been quite a week.
5: It has been quite a week. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what Josh said. I don't know that the bottom is in. I wouldn't make that call right now. I think there's um, a lot of volatility still to come. I do think the inflation data is going to run hotter, and and you're going to get concerns about the Fed. And I think the Fed has a very hard job in front of it, one that it hasn't tried to do in a long time. It has to bring inflation down a little bit, but it, can, it doesn't want to cause a recession or financial instability. So I, I think we are going to be in a choppy market, and I um, I do think that there you know there is some still you know frothy valuations, but the liquidity is. Great. Um, As Josh said, there's, you know, companies have record levels of cash. Um, Consumers still have record levels of cash. I don't think we're going into a recession. And so I think you have to be very selective here, but there are opportunities um, to make money from a a long term perspective. Um, The other thing I will add, which I wasn't going to, but I worked with Kathy for over 10 years at Alliance Bernstein very closely. And um, I agree with what Josh is saying. She's she is a great person and she works really hard for on behalf of her clients. So, um, so, the, so since some of this is getting personal and I just, it's not right.
2: OK, um, we appreciate those those comments. I mean, look, so much of what we're talking about at the end of the day comes down to whether Jay Powell can land the plane softly or not. Of course, the Fed chair. Now that there is this new Fed regime, that the Fed has certainly spoken and spoken loudly this week. And Jay Powell is going to be tested in the weeks ahead. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, is joining us now. And, Steve, that's really what it comes down to, whether Powell can pull this off. Um, And it ain't going to be easy. And I'm curious as to what you think, based on your reporting and those who you talk to, as to whether you think that they can be successful in this.
1: You know, let me first, before I answer that question, lay out that, you know, having listened to this show the entire week uh, and learned a lot, obviously, um, there are some bullish members of your committee, Scott, uh, rotating in and out. And I started to think about, well, is there a bullish scenario here for the economy and the Fed? And honestly, I went to go look for it and I reread Powell's um, uh, transcript from the press conference the other day. Uh, And he does have there is a bullish scenario. There is a soft landing scenario here. And and let me walk you through how that would happen. In the first instance, there is no scenario that I can imagine where the Fed doesn't tighten. The Fed almost certainly is going to do multiple rate hikes at the beginning here. Um, And then what Powell is looking for here is supply chain problems and the effects, the economic effects of the virus begin to ease. You have a fiscal drag because you're not pumping as much money into the economy. You also have help from a strong dollar. You also have some base effects All of those things, if they come together, they could, in the second half of the year, uh, work to bring down inflation. The question is not, does the Fed tighten? The question, does the Fed tighten in a way that doesn't cause the job market to slow and the economy to slow? And if all of those things come together, there is that possibility. When I listen to Powell, I'm not sure he's selling that scenario. I think he's very agnostic about it. And what he really keeps saying is we're going to do what needs to be done to bring inflation down. But that is a scenario that he lays out. It is a scenario that for your bulls on your committee, if that's what they want to hang a hat on, they can. I just don't think they can do it without some, at least several Fed tightenings this year.
2: So a couple of things here. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to overpromise and underdeliver, i.e., um, he knows what happens when he said transitory forever and then it. Turns out not transitory. And he you know, he has to basically publicly admit that he was wrong um, in not so many words. But you you know where I'm going on that. So maybe maybe that's a little bit of that. He'd rather err on the side of of caution there. Um, J.P. Morgan now sees five rate hikes this year. Bank of America's at seven. Neil Kashkari, Minnesota Fed Prez, with some very interesting statements earlier today, said, quote, is it conceivable we could move in the spring and then pause and see how the economy evolves? That's conceivable. I don't want to prejudge it. And then said the Fed needs to tighten, quote, a little bit. Now, how does that square with everything, Steve? You know, Neil is,
1: uh, is, is among the more uh, dovish members. I think it squares. Guys, I've got another chart on what the Fed approach. The Fed approach. I think Powell's going to be steady here. I think he's going to do a couple of hikes, do a couple of hikes, and keep. I don't. I don't think a fifty is on the table. I don't think Powell means to scare markets here. He's going to put the balance sheet on autopilot, let it run in the background, and he's going to escalate only if inflation does not decline. I think five and seven are um, ambitious calls for the Federal Reserve that does not seem to be. Where my head is at, I'm watching, the, um, uh, I'm, I'm watching the market, the futures market. They're not priced for that. They're priced for, for five this year. I think seven is ambitious, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that makes sense. You know, so you know, I, don't, I don't really think that – go ahead. No, no, no. Please finish. I'm sorry, Steve. I thought you were wrapped up. My, my bad. Go ahead. No, I think, I think that what the Fed is going to do, at least initially, is what it would do to normalize policy in any event – If you didn't have an inflation problem and you looked at a 3.9 percent unemployment rate and you looked at a 6 percent that we just had in the GDP numbers and forecast for 3, 4 percent this year, you'd be raising rates anyway. Um, So I don't think initially the Fed is going to do any more than it would normally do to bring the funds rate back into where it is and policy overall. The debate that is on the it's on the table is soft landing or hard landing. And I don't know that that is baked in the hard landing is baked in the cake. There is a possibility here for a soft landing with all of those factors coming together to bring down inflation.
2: We're we're looking at the yield curve um, right next to your head (laughs) as you were speaking. And you you have to believe also, Steve, that Powell Has got to take some sort of comfort in the fact that he knows his pipes, so to speak, still matter. And they appear to be working and working just fine. The two years moved a lot. Right. So the market, in some respects, is doing a lot of the Fed's lifting for it so that it may not have to do as much as the market fears it might. If the market keeps cooperating, so to speak, not from only a rate standpoint, but the equity market pullback too in wiping out some of the most excessive froth pockets in the market, that all plays into part of the strategy of why jawboning is jawboning.
1: I think that's right, Scott. And, and I probably have a bunch of screens on my, uh, um, on my computer here that no other traders would ever have, which is I have a screen here that tells me how much the two-year has moved since Powell did his big pivot on 1130. He's gotten 70 basis points of tightening from the two-year. Since he made that speech, there was a little bit more before that. Uh, he hasn't raised rates at all. So in any event, Powell can take at least some comfort. The the transmission mechanism of monetary policy is working. I don't think you could get him to publicly admit that he wants the stock market to decline. But the fact that he's got 70 basis points of tightening, he's got five... Um, uh, uh, rate hikes priced into the market. He has balance sheet reduction priced into the market, and he lost what he lost in the in the stock market. I don't think he's upset by that. I can't speak for him. I just don't think he's upset by that.
2: Yeah. For particularly, I can't imagine he's upset with, as I said, the most frothy parts of the market correcting a bit, right? The last thing that he wants to do is inflate an asset bubble uh, any more than Critics suggest he already has. But then if you take it in the most speculative parts of the market, that's where you get potentially the most damage if there wasn't any deflation already taking place within those areas. And he's gotten that. And you have to believe that that's he's OK right. with that. And, and, and
1: th- th- that's why I wish, Scott, just going back to the had withdrawn some of the stimulus earlier and tightened up on the guidance a little bit earlier, not had the market in the fall believing they were going to go into 2022 uh, with, with a, 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 free, a free pass on, on Fed tightening. I wish that wasn't the case. But that, that being the case and being where we are now, the extent to which some of that froth comes out of the market gives the Fed more flexibility. It allows them to talk more hawkish now um, and then withdraw that hawkishness and withdraw that later on. Uh, If if indeed you do get some cooperation from inflation, look, I know there are people out there that say it's going to be bad and the Fed's going to have to really hit the brakes hard. And when I say hit the brakes hard, that is do more than it would otherwise Mm -hmm. do just to normalize uh, uh, rates. That's possible. That's on the table. Powell made clear he would do it. But right now, not in the worst position and now it's up to the numbers and inflation and getting those supply side things clear, getting the virus done. A little help from the dollar, a little help from from China reopening up from Omicron. All of that's possible. I, I didn't want to end this very tumultuous week, Scott, without the idea out there that there
2: is a path here to a soft landing. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe maybe Kashkari is saying the quiet part out loud in, in some respects, you know, and in, in maybe Powell hopes that he can get to that point. Uh, but it remains to be seen sure The proof's going to be in the pudding. We'll see what happens yeah. with, with inflation and, and all that. Steve, awesome stuff. Appreciate it, as always. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Josh, I mean, look, you, you've been the one who's suggesting that, you know, the market is going to do some of the Fed's work for it and that maybe j Powell is not going to end up being as aggressive as the worst of the fears are. Let's say if the pendulum is, at you know, seven hikes is the most extreme, point of view, as Bank of America puts forth today, then maybe we we don't get to near that point if j Powell can actually orchestrate this.
0: You know, one of the things that gets lost when you wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. and you see the futures, uh, you know, you see Dow futures down triple digits, which used to be a big deal. It's less of a big deal these days. Um, but you see a negative 300 Dow and you're just like, oh, here we go again. What it, it, it starts to... It starts to make you forget that we're in a massive expansion right now and the consumer is spending and they may be telling the confidence surveys they're not confident but they don't stop buying dishwashers and corporate balance sheets have never been in the shape they're in and profit margins even with the fact that they God forbid have to pay people more money corporate profit margins are still elevated relative to most of recorded history you've got so much of a tailwind still coming from the real economy Um, regardless of what goes on in stocks, So I think it's easy to forget that, but we shouldn't. Because the reason we're talking about tightening and the reason we're curtailing these emergency uh, stimulus measures is because we can and should. And the market is doing some of the Fed's work for it in the form of this kind of multiple compression mini bubbles bursting, even in crypto, not in NFTs yet, give that five minutes. Like that's the stuff that should take place. And he doesn't even necessarily have to be involved with it. We'll do it ourselves. And that's the power of that kind of signaling. And I agree with uh, Mr. Leisman. It's nice that that still works. And then you'll get those rate hikes. And one last thing, go back to 1994. You had this tightening cycle start and spook everybody. You had a huge correction in the S&P. After the first 25 basis points, which, by the way, there was no dot plot. It came out of nowhere, right? Spooked the market, spooked Treasury, spooked stocks. The second one, stocks fell again, but not as much. And then they did a 50 basis point rate hike, and stocks rallied. Why did they rally? Because everybody remembered, oh, you know what? Things were actually really good. That's why rates were going up. And don't let me remind you, that tightening cycle started from 6%, not 0%. And we all managed to live through the 90s okay.
2: John, John, Jerry, and I mean, you, you do get a pretty good understanding of the fragility of the market, though, through the way that companies are reporting their earnings and whether they're being rewarded or not, or even if they're being rewarded to a lesser extent than they otherwise might be at a different period of time. That brings me, of course, to Apple, which by all accounts had an incredible earnings report. Jim Suva of City was on the network earlier today talking to the gang and was like, wow, I mean, this was An unbelievable report. Katie Huberty out with defense talking about the clean beat uh, that it was. And yet, Dr. J, um, Apple's not totally off to the races today. To me, that's a statement of kind of where sentiment is and maybe where we ultimately may be going in the in the more near term in this market. What, What do you think? Do you think there's anything to that, Doc?
3: Well, sure, Scott. Uh, the, the numbers were blowout numbers. Of course, $124 billion record revenue, um, nearly 800 million um, uh, subscriptions out there, uh, paid subscribers to Apple products and so forth. Uh, the wearables alone, they said, were now uh, a Fortune 100 company. I mean, was there anything not perfect in this report? No, including... Uh, Tim Cook saying that supply chain issues are being worked out by him working directly with the suppliers. Uh, so yeah, I think if it were not for the overall environment that we've seen this week, we would have seen probably double the move that we're seeing right now. In other words, instead of to 167, I think we would have been up there towards 175. But you got to trade the market you want, you have not the one you want, Scott. So. What I'm doing right now is I've rolled up calls in Apple. Um, I have now pushed out into February and April um, both my longs and my short calls in Apple. And I think we're going to see a lot more caterpillars and WDCs where they beat top line, bottom line, but they have to give somewhat weak guidance. And those companies are going to be punished. Um, And those are the ones you want to pick up on dips. I don't think the jumps will be as strong. I think the dips will still be strong. And those are the ones I'm going to try to uh, feast on, Scott. I was trading both those names I just mentioned, Western Digital, CAT, Mm -hmm. a few others here that I thought dipped a little too much. I think we'll get some opportunities like that. And lastly, I'll just say, when, when we talk about retail traders, you're really talking about brokers, not retail traders. Brokers that are pulling the trigger because the customers are calling up and they're nervous and they're saying, get me out or buy this, buy that. That's not a retail trader, that is an investor. Retail traders are actually feasting on this, trust me. I talk to a lot of them, I see a lot of them. Not every trade's a winner, of course, but they are feasting because this is a great setup from both upside and downside, from the very quick movements that you get. This is that trader, not investor time.
2: I mean, and again, you know, we're looking at Apple here is up nine bucks. It's, you know, better than five percent, obviously, but it wasn't that way early on. It was it was much less than that. We're getting a little bit of a pickup in the Nasdaq at this moment. So naturally, Apple is is picking up. I appreciate that, Doc. You know, Amy Raskin, you trimmed your Apple position not that long ago. Are you regretting the fact that you did so?
5: Well, today I am one of my. And we still own it. Um, I just um, I think it's a phenomenal company. Obviously, um, the call last night was was amazing and on every level. Um, I just think they got a big benefit from the pandemic. Um, China was really strong for them. China's still in lockdown. They're probably still getting some benefit from that. Um, you know, I think it's a great company. I just don't think it's going to be a great stock for the next decade. I, you know, we're very long term investors. Um, again, we have we still wow. have a position. But um, I, I, at two point six trillion, um, you know, law of large numbers kicks in. It's not cheap um, for you know, that, basically it's an iPhone. Amy, that's
4: never. Ahead,
5: John.
3: Hot. That's Hard never been that. the case <laughs> The law of large numbers does not apply to the situation you're describing, though, Amy. You can dislike the stock. We could disagree like that. But the law of large numbers, that's not what that law is.
5: Well, you have 1.8 you billion devices. You have to come up devices. with a different
3: reason to not like it.
5: No, you have 1.8 billion devices mm-hmm. out there, Apple devices out there. So where does that go to? <laughs> I mean, it could go, it certainly could go up. I think it's going to go up. But it's not going to go up by the same magnitude that it has gone up over the past decade. Just mathematically.
3: Well, true because they carry you on true uh, because they didn't have many of you these want, things want to, like that yeah. watch. They <laughs> well, didn't right. have
2: those. Well, I mean it's yeah, an interesting you know, statement, ten, certainly ten uh, controversial and provocative none, nonetheless, uh, Amy. That you know Apple's yeah. stock is going to be a, a disappointment for the next decade. I mean that's a that's a statement you don't hear very often on this network or any other place, for that matter, saying that it's going to be a disappointment uh, over the next decade. Carrie, um, you know, I'm curious. I know you have a position in it still, Carrie. Yeah. But you're, yeah. Um, you're underweight, though, too. Do oh, you, yeah. Do you agree with with Amy?
4: Well, first of all, almost everyone is underweight Apple because it's such a large percent of the S&P, right? If you're overweight Apple and Google, you know, that's going to be a fifth of your portfolio. We have a lot of Apple. I mean, I understand that it's such a big company and it's hard to see that rate of growth. But think about it. Um, It it represents today. uh, I, I think today, again, it's it's the market. It's carrying the market. It had a great quarter, 124 billion. You realize for a quarter, Coca-Cola. Coke does $40 billion a year. Procter & Gamble in sales does $80 billion a year. JP Morgan, huge JP Morgan, does as much in a year as Apple does in a quarter. They've got They're adding to cash at the rate that most people, the biggest S&P companies, have revenues for the year. So I think you have to give them enormous credit. What they have signaled, and we know, is that this quarter is the best of the year and that the following quarters are not going to be as strong. And I think the reason there's less enthusiasm for the the stock today is is basically because – you're not going to see that level of, of gains growth in profits and revenue over the next few quarters. But it's a very good sign. On the supply side, they talked about how Tim Cook talked about they were able to get product that they want. They felt that things were resolving. Yeah. It may yeah. be just because bigger companies have more power. But I think that said a lot about inflation perhaps coming down. We know that steel, iron ore, trucks, used cars, rentals are, are all coming down in price. And to the the extent that a technology company with great leverage and huge margins, margins can put up those numbers is a good sign for the market and for the economy. Resolving some of these problems that we've had with Omicron. So, I, I think that's what you're seeing in the market today. The fact that it isn't up as much as one might have expected, I think that's fine. It lives in its own orbit. You know, people use it as their, you know, equity money market fund. You know, it stands for something right. else today because of its size, I hear but, you. but very impressive.
5: Let's
2: bring in Brian Belski now, BMO Chief Investment Strategist, to weigh in on where things stand now, where we might be going from here. Brian, it's good to see you again. Welcome back.
6: Thanks so much for having us.
2: It's been, been a heck of a week. Um, you still sticking with 5,300 for the end of the year? Are you wavering on that, given what lies ahead in this new Fed regime?
6: No, we're not. I'll, I'll throw a number at you. 231. There's 231 trading days left. We're, we're 19 days into 2022. You know, you quoted Tom Lee's great note today. Uh, stocks go down like an elevator and up like an escalator usually. Well, we've seen this the last couple of years that stocks can go up uh, when they correct like an elevator as well. And so Karen was talking about how important Monday's low is. And if you're an old timer, uh, it's it absolutely true. Now, there's some old timers that I've been talking to going back 30 years in my career. Some you people calling from me Dame an old timer? <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm actually an old timer, and because I, I can't tell you I can't tell you how many people have come out of the woodwork to talk about the third wave coming down 4100, all this kind of stuff. But equally though, that I'm getting bashed on social media and getting notes in my Bloomberg and my personal email telling me that I'm crazy. But then I also get these uh, amazing emails from people that I've known for 30 years saying give me a shopping list of what to buy, and these are the brokers that are, bo- are buying things for their high net worth people. So, I think the key thing that has not been talked about a little bit today, but should be even more, is that the market has been discriminating. And when the market becomes indiscriminate, that's when you have to worry, and that's when uh, actually buy- the best buying opportunities come in. So, to date, the market for the most part, Scott, has been discriminated. It took care of what it needed to take care of in terms of the high multiple stocks, but on, uh into Friday and then into Monday, the beginning of Monday, it was obviously more indiscriminate, and that's what made that low, and that's what created the opportunity. So I think the, holding that low on a near-term basis is exceedingly important. Yeah, I'm
2: thinking you know, right in, in all the things you said and where your target is, you, you are assuming, you have to be, that Jay Powell is going to be able to land the plane um, even if he doesn't have the most detailed map right? And he doesn't have somebody guiding him the whole way, right? Guidance is gone and they're going to have to sort of wing it based on what the scenario is. That's not always the easiest place to be able to land something. You seem to be giving him wholeheartedly the benefit of the doubt to be able to do so.
6: I am. He's done a wonderful job. And, you know, in life, sometimes we have to be humbled. We make mistakes. And and I think he probably was a little bit too aggressive in 2018, and he learned from that. I think he's going to do a very good job threading the needle. And if you actually listen to uh, the, the, the press conference and, and hear how he maneuvered through the questions, how many times did we hear reporters say, is it going to be a 50 basis point cut or a 50 basis point raise? Everyone is convinced now that we're going to see a 50 basis. But I don't see it. And I think it's going to be somewhere in between. I don't think it's going to be five. I think our great economics department is saying four. I think, actually, the trend that we've been talking about for several months now is that the second half of the year, we could see a supply glut as inflation is already slowing, but we're not really recognizing it because we're so caught up in today's data. Even today's data was showing yes. that on a, on a month-over-month basis, things yes. are slowing, and that's really positive.
2: Yeah. Yeah i got to cut it a little bit short with you today, uh, B, uh, but we'll have you back soon. I appreciate it. i got to go to a break. You have a good weekend. Brian Belsky, BMO, joining us once again. Coming up, we'll go through a whole host of committee moves today. Dr. J's got Unusual coming up as well. We're back right after this.
8: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The Biden administration is reportedly considering targeted sanctions against Russia if it attacks Ukraine. The Wall Street Journal reports that the White House plan will target Russian banks, state companies, and key imports. At New York's St. Patrick's Cathedral, a funeral was held for a police officer shot and killed in the line of duty last week. Officer Jason Rivera died while responding to a domestic disturbance call. Fellow officer Wilbert Mora also was shot and later died. His services will be held next week. Pennsylvania's mail-in voting law has been found unconstitutional by a state court. Republican lawmakers filed the challenge, which was heard by a Republican-led panel of judges. The Democratic governor will now likely appeal to the state's Supreme Court. And the White House has a new resident, Willow the cat, already making herself comfortable in this picture here. The first lady met the two-year-old Tabby during the 2020 election at a campaign event. Willow jumped on the stage and interrupted her remarks. Apparently, Scott named after the first lady's hometown of Willow Grove, PA. I'll send it back to you. All
2: right, I told you the investment committee is making a lot of moves. We're going to begin with Carrie here, who bought more Netflix. You guys, what have you been talking with Ackman? What's going on here, (laughs) Kerr?
4: Oh, definitely. Uh, No, we uh, we've owned the stock uh, not that long, but we added to it. And uh, I'll tell you a couple of key points during the pandemic. uh, And the stock is selling for the same price as it was before the pandemic. They added over 80 million subscribers. If you take those 80 million and you say they pay about 130 a year, that's over 10 billion dollars of incremental revenue they have. They haven't lost that revenue because the pandemic is ending. They still have it. 10 billion is about what they spent on content. So accelerated adoption of Netflix for sure. And the stock may have gotten too high, but it's come down to about 27 or less times next year's earnings. And we think this is a very attractive entry point.
2: OK, uh, I should note you also bought more of booking holdings. Uh, Amy, you have a new buy. And uh, Josh Brown, pay close attention here because Amy's buying Berkshire Hathaway. Amy?
5: Yep. Um, we think this is a defensive play with a mix of businesses that are well-suited to the macro environment that we're heading into or that we're in. And um, so we like it, attractive valuation, um, obviously well-run businesses. Um, that we think it's, we think it's a, the right holding for this, this market.
2: You bought more Verizon. Uh, you bought more Goldman Sachs. I'm assuming using the pullback uh, in those names to uh, to buy more there. You trimmed J.P. Morgan, which is a pretty uh, unique thing to do, considering I just don't hear about that many people uh, who are looking to get away from J.P. Morgan. Why you?
5: We trimmed J.P. Morgan and put it in a little bit more into Goldman Sachs. Um, I, I thought the quarter, J.P. Morgan's quarter, was pretty sloppy, and the increase in expenses... Um, bothered me, and, and I'm not sure that they're getting the return on their investment in, in technology right now. So, Goldman's cheaper. We think that they're, um, they're just, they don't have the premium that JP Morgan does, and um, we, we like it better here. So, we just trimmed a little JP Morgan and put it into Goldman. Um, we did add, as you said, to Verizon and a few other defensive plays, but we also are picking our spots, spots with higher beta names as well.
2: Okay, I appreciate the updates there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what do you do if you're Steve Weiss and one of your stocks has gotten absolutely obliterated this week? He's going to call in from London and he's going to tell us next.
7: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: All right, take a look at shares of Teradyne. There they are, down more than 22% this week. Steve Weiss ran all the way across the pond. He was trying to avoid having to deal with this one. But we have tracked him down, and he is on the phone to tell us, what did you do with this position, Steve Weiss?
9: So I'm actually at a construction site in London, Scott. Nice of you to point out. I had to come far to get away. So what I did is I sold the remainder of it. I took a look at the stock, and I thought the miss was way too big. They took numbers down for this year from about 630, 640 to 480, so just because the shares have corrected doesn't mean they've gotten any cheaper. As a matter of fact, they deserve the premium multiple when they continue to beat and raise every quarter. And when you miss this much, you actually deserve a, a P.E. discount. So I think the stock's still overvalued. So I shorted some this morning. I'll probably short a little more. I think maybe the market bounce, maybe Monday, maybe not. But regardless, uh, I just think at this point the stock's on 20% of their earnings come from Apple. And when you see how Apple did, you wonder, how could they miss? That's because Apple's reusing equipment. So I also believe there's going to be some double ordering in the semis. And so I'm going to be a little more cautious on the semis. I think that's reflected how it's acting today versus the pews. So I'm going, I'm just staying with the big safe stocks. i want more Facebook uh, below 300. So that's my position.
2: All right, Steve, I got to run. I'm so jammed. Uh, enjoy London. We'll talk to you soon when yes. you get back see to the ya. outside. That's Steve Weiss. All right. Uh, joining us on that trade update. Doc's got unusual activity next. (music) Dr. J, unusual activity. Tell us.
3: All right, Scott. Jets. Uh, This is, of course, the airline ETF, JETS. It traded below 20. And now they're coming in buying the 2286 calls that expire out there in June. Paying just 80 cents for them. So I i love the leverage you get with this one, Scott. I love that I get almost five months out into the future for the trade. So that's the first one. Second one, data dog. Was 198 bucks traded down into the 120s today. And while it did that, we noticed huge buying of the June 140 calls. Stock has already come back from 122, I think, on the lows, Scott to about 134. I like the upside. I'm holding on to that one and selling upside calls
2: against it. All right, Doc, good stuff. Thank you. Final Trades coming up next. All right, quick before Final Trades, Amy, I'm mad that I didn't think of this myself, but someone texted me and said, how can Amy be buying Berkshire and be negative Mm -hmm. Apple when Apple is Berkshire's number one position? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, it doesn't make sense to them. And now that I think about it, it doesn't make sense to me either.
5: Well, I think I think Berkshire has a lot of positions. I think, you know, Apple is certainly a big position for them, but they also own a lot of businesses that I think are very well suited um, in this macroeconomic environment. Berkshire is also much cheaper than Apple. So you're sort of getting at Apple for a little bit of a discount through Berkshire, So um, I, I think, you know, Berkshire, the entire market cap is $650 billion um, versus Apple at mm-hmm. $2.6 billion. So I just think there's, from a stock right. perspective, there's more runway there.
2: Okay, give me and a quick name say, um, for a final trade, and that's all.
5: Right. Kaden, I got to go. K-A-I.
2: Okay, Carrie, just a name.
4: American Express.
2: Josh?
0: Uh, AOS. Great, great earnings. Doc. Dr. J.
3: Norwegian Cruise Lines, NCLH, Scott.
2: That has nothing to do with the shot of yours today, I, I, I presume. But nonetheless, I'm seeing somewhat of a tie-in. All right, guys, have a good weekend. The exchange starts right now. <laughs> there is. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
4: People
3: today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.